All right, welcome to the Crown Council's Mentor of the Month podcast. Just a short introduction before we get on with our interview with Dr. Weston Spencer. This podcast series has been developed with young dentists and student dentists in mind. We're interviewing some of the members of the Crown Council, each who have a different perspective on the type of practice opportunities that are available to you. These are mentors that are providing some leadership, some counsel, some warnings, some advice, all based on the experiences that they've had, whether it's, I joined a practice as an associate, I joined as a partner, I built my own practice, I joined my dad's practice, uh, I joined a group practice. So each have different perspectives and advice uh, based on what maybe you're looking for as you leave school and as you're a young dentist. So today as we interview Dr. Weston Spencer, he's got some great advice on a few things like being patient, uh, learning and waiting for the right opportunity. He talks about um, your educational opportunities, what sort of things you need to be doing now as either a dentist, as a student, as a young associate. Um, he, he really focuses on picking those mentors, picking those clinical mentors, practice training, uh, your your financial advisors, the, the people that are the, the group that's going to surround you and train you. So some really solid advice there. He talks about building your brand as, as an associate, uh, how important that is to start now as an associate or as a student to, to develop a bit of a brand, being good at photography, being good at social media, telling a story. Uh, don't wait on things like that. Uh, Weston's got some great advice there. So we, we hope you enjoy this episode. As always, this is sponsored by the Crown Council, uh, a group of dental professionals across the United States who are committed to building a culture of success in your practice. Uh, this is just one of the ways that we do that uh, by helping practices and doctors feel like they never practice alone. So enjoy this episode. Thank you, Dr. Weston Spencer and all those listening. All right. Take care. All right. Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month podcast, our special series focused on students and young docs looking for mentorship and leadership on what comes next after dental school. Uh, I'm Stuart Anderson, joined today by Dr. Weston Spencer. Weston, welcome. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me, Stu. Appreciate Dude, it. Grateful to have you with us. Um, thankful, obviously, that you take the time to be here, but more importantly, grateful for your influence and example inside Crown Council, especially with the young docs and uh, just amongst your age, this is a guy, everyone listening, dude, I don't want you to get a big head here. Don't get, <laughs> but Weston is the man I've known Weston since high school, actually. And, uh, it's been so fun to kind of see where you've gone professionally, how you stand out as a leader. So I'll just do a little, um, intro, dude. I found out a lot of great stuff from your website, by the way. I hope it's updated enough it's, that it's, it's like, good. I might have to retract some of this. Let's see what happens. <laughs> okay. It's good. So he's practicing now in La Jolla, California. But he found his passion for dentistry. Your grandfather was a dentist. That is correct in in Salt Lake. So that's where it, that's where it started. He he grabbed me just before I was about to go become an orthopedic surgeon. He's like, just hang out in my practice for a couple of days, and I did, and I that's where I fell in love with that. So no way. I'm glad I did. So yeah, yeah it says here a small a small practice for fifty years. Uh, where was his Where was his practice, Weston? Right on like 72, like the, up the, the farthest east, 7,200 south, almost to the base of like uh, Big Cottonwood Canyon okay. up there, uh, kind of sandy area. Very cool. So uh, from high school, um, Weston went to Loma Linda University, graduated, 
top of his class clinically. And then this is the coolest part, dude, class president for four years. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was going to be cool in the beginning and then nobody wanted to run after the first year. <laughs> so I kind of just slid into the last three years. So, oh, I see president by default. That's good. Yeah, no, it was good though. That, you know, that that's one cool thing. I feel like if a student was listening, you know, doing something like that gives you access to mentors in the pro in a, in a dental school program that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. Right. So I got to be on committees that otherwise um, I wouldn't have been able to do. And, and, and that really helped my last two years of dental school, like being colleagues with some of the leaders in the, in the dental school. And I've really helped that. That helped me to have a really good experience there for sure. Very cool. Uh, says here, your, your work ethic drew attention of the faculty and you were awarded the Dean Prince Award for leadership in dental school. Uh, after you graduated, he moved to Rancho Santa Margarita in California, where he practiced for two years as an associate. We'll talk about that for a bit. Then you moved to the San Diego area where you practice now and have gone through some really interesting transitions. So if you're, if you're wondering what we are going to talk about today, we're going to talk about Weston as an associate, Weston as a partner as you bought in, and then Weston as an owner of a practice. So he's kind of made this, this uh, incremental transition out of dental school from associate partner, owner, and uh, he's got a lot of great advice uh, moving forward for, for students who are kind of looking at that same path. Wow. So, I'm, I'm excited to hear how this goes. This is going to be good. I'm excited what we say here. Well, I hopefully there's not a lot of editing here, Wes, where I have to fill in gaps. I hope so too. <laughs> hey, so let's talk about, uh, let's talk about after, so dental school is coming to an end and you're trying to decide what comes next. Um, how did you make that decision? Where did you go from there? Well, so dental school ending, I'm, I'm, uh, I took some honors programs in endo thinking I might go endodontics sometime after, but I thought also if I, even if I don't become an endodontist, I wanted to like be good at a, a skill beyond just general dentistry when I got out. So I could be in a, a marketable associate. Right. So I kind of took on that thinking I would love endo. Now it's funny, you get out of dental school and I start doing real world endo you know, and I didn't have access to a microscope or the things that people should be using when they do endodontics. And all of a sudden I was like, man, this is not for me. But what it did give me the opportunity to do is, is that made me a little bit more marketable when I was uh, talking with um, doctors who might be hiring me as an associate. I said, hey, I did this level of endodontics in dental school. So that felt like that gave me a little leg up. Uh, the other thing I, I, I started in dental school that I'm really, really passionate about is, is taking good photography of your work, mm. right? Getting a, the first time I got a good dental camera was like, I was a, I was a second year student and I started documenting my work. Now, if I look back at that work, it was not great. <laughs> it was not where I am today, but I had a little bit of a portfolio when I went to apply at these doctor's Smart. offices. I, in yeah. fact, I made a hardback book that I was so proud of. I mean, I had these little class two fillings that I just thought were so good. And I remember doctors looking at me like, yeah, yeah, that's okay. You know, all right. But the guy that hired me in Orange County said, hey, you're the only one that's ever done this. And I'm actually, whether it's good dentistry or not, I'm actually impressed that you're like, that you take mm -hmm. it really, really serious to help me get the job. So little pearl there is start documenting, keep track Smart. of it, uh, make yourself somewhat marketable um, when it comes to that as you're getting out of dental school. And that's, that's one way to do it for sure. Very cool. And so you, you joined the practice as an associate and maybe Correct. talk about that process, um, the contract, how you were hired. I mean, what you negotiated and maybe things that you learned and things you would do different looking back on that first relationship. 
Yeah, to be honest, I feel like um, when you're a brand new dental student, you're probably in the mindset of like, take whatever you can get. And that, that's definitely what it was for me. I was part time in a nice private practice, Seric driven office that was really well run. I was really happy to get that job, but it wasn't full time. It was like two to maybe three days a week. Um, and I needed other work. Um, and another office, uh, a Pacific Dental office, right? A corporate um, DSO in California uh, hired me for the other day. So I was kind of between the two and got a really good view of the differences between those two styles of practices, right? And so one was very private practice. Uh, I got a chance to do a lot of early cosmetic dentistry, kind of develop some love there. But at the same time, I was in a, in a more of a clinic style where it was just tons of patients. And I was having to work fast, learning how to diagnose quick, work quick, you know, do it all in one. So I got a really good view of both. Uh, both were based on production. Uh, and so with my base pay, this was back in, you know, 2010. I remember it being like, I think a base pay to start at $500 a day and then um, or production, uh, whichever was greater, you know, percentage of the production. And I think that was a little tiered somewhere between 25 to 30 percent of production, depending on, um, you know, how much I was doing. So that's a, a little peak of where it was in 2010. Um, you know, not a lot has changed in terms of where we're at now in terms of percentage, you know, of production. Costs have gone up and so have salaries. But if you're making a percentage of a production or a collection, I feel like that's pretty standard somewhere 25 to 31, 32, 33, depending on what the office is doing and what you can do. Very cool. And so you worked there in that practice for two years. What drove the Correct. decision to kind of what, what were you, were you working on anything? Were you like restless to go someplace else? Were you like, I need more? What was kind of your mindset? Yeah, it was funny. Right in about two, that 20, uh, 2011, 2012, I thought I had it figured out. And I was like, I'm going to look for offices to buy in Orange County. And mm -hmm. so I actually started just looking around and, um, and connected with a broker, connected with a banker, kind of saw what I would qualify for, what type of practice. And, and I didn't find anything that was really super exciting in the beginning. And then right at that same time, a doc uh, that I'd connected with through AACD uh, reached out to me and he was down in La Jolla. And he said, hey, my associate just left. Are you willing to, to come down to La Jolla and work maybe two to three days a week with me? And I saw that as like a gym, like that practice to me was the elite practice in that town. Um, he was an elite dentist and I thought, you know what, I'm not ready to own my own practice yet. Um, and I want to go learn from this guy and I want to be his associate and learn how to do good dentistry, uh, do gorgeous cosmetic dentistry and, and maybe, you know, learn how to run a business better. And so I did. So I committed to that, which was taking us now down to San Diego and, um, and I did part-time with him. And so as I did part-time with him, again, I still needed another job. So I found another part-time gig um, in town with, a, with an older doctor, Dr. Jim Lovell. Um, if I can just tell this story real quick. He, I met him because as I was in La Jolla already, my endodontist that I was referring to said, hey, I know this old guy. He he's, wants to retire. He's probably just going to walk away from his practice. So, and he's talked to a lot of other potential owner doctors who want to be owners as well, but he, he, he just hasn't found the right guy. I literally that afternoon walked into his practice. It was a block away from where I was working, walked into his practice, 
met his office manager, introduced myself. I said, hey, is, is Dr. Lovell here? She's like, yeah, he's in the back. Go say hi. So I went and said hi, shook his hand. Said, hey, man, can I, can I take you to lunch sometime? Um, he's like, yeah, sure. You know, and, uh, and we did. So we went to lunch. I offered my services in terms of being able to, you know, maybe do um, emergency coverage for him. Like he wasn't quite sure whether he was ready to take on an associate, but he was uh, within about a month, month and a half. He called me and he said, hey, I'll give you two days a week here, right? I'm going to cut back. I'm going to take it off. Um, you take over two days. I'll stay three days and we'll see where we go. And I was like, sounds good. Sounds good to me. Oh. So I had my five days in La Jolla, three with one, two with another. And, uh, and then what would eventually become, as I kind of worked in Dr. Lovell's practice, small kind of single tooth dentistry style practice, blue collar, um, but a, a solid dude and the patients loved him. And the way he rolled out the carpet for me was incredible. Mm. I mean, we had not even signed anything or said I was going to take over. And the day I walked in, he sent out a letter saying, hey, I want you to know Dr. Spencer. I trust him. He's a great guy. Um, he's the next guy. And mm. I was like, wow, well, that puts a lot That's of pressure. And I appreciate it a lot because it built a lot of confidence with our patients. So on day one, I was really successful in that practice. Wow. And he had really built me up. So I was, I was fortunate to have that. So when you're looking back and you, let's say you're standing in front of Dr. Weston Spencer as a graduating senior, and you are now looking at him and you're saying, Hey, in order to set this next phase of your life up, uh, do make sure you do this in your professional career. Is there anything that really stands out that you did right? that You would tell a student to do. One was patience. Um, you know, you, you, you start to, to feel confident in yourself in year one and two, like, oh, I got this. And I'm telling you, you still don't got it. And that's fine. Like, you can be a phenomenal doctor and have incredible mentors. But in year one, two, you're still, like, growing and learning, right? So have a little patience uh, looking for the right opportunity and be, be very, very picky with that. So one, one is patience. And I think the other thing, um, I started this is 2010, a lot of, you know, online courses and, and going to, you know, and study clubs like Spear Study Club and some of these things weren't really available yet, right? Mm -hmm. I would listen to a pirated CD of Frank Spear, you know, yeah. doing lectures um, in my car to and from work. That's how I got some of my like basic core um, okay. training and occlusion and, 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 um, facially generated treatment planning, all the big, big stuff that I do now, it started with me listening to Frank Spear talking about, I can't even watch it. There's no videos to watch, right? Just right. listening to this stuff. Now you have access to that stuff. So my other big piece of advice is year one and two and three, pick uh, uh, an occlusion mentor. This is, you know, John Coyce, Frank Spear, um, Strupp and Brum. There's, there's a lot of these out there, right? That you that are going to teach you how to do quality, long lasting dentistry that looks good. Uh, the rewarding, profitable kind of dentistry. You can go and learn that stuff early, even as an associate. Now it's going to cost you some money, but there is no better ROI on spending that kind of money to get clinical training in that like crown council's young dentist program, right? Hornbrook has the, the over the shoulder. That is priceless stuff that you can get in year one, two, and three um, that sets you up so that guess what? When you're ready to buy that practice in maybe year two, three, four, 
you're, you have the, the, the clinical skills to support where you want to take that practice. And so those are the two big things, be patient and pick a mentor and go learn from that person, how to do good quality dentistry. So you set yourself up early on for, for clinical success. Was there anybody else you look back to on and say, not only clinical mentor, but anybody else that you would say are essential to your growth when it comes to a mentor? Not just clinical, but is, was there other people you picked that kind of were in your inner circle for training and mentorship? Um, one really uh, tight friend slash mentor. He was, I mean, he was my age, but he was really taken off in um, from like an accounting space. And he's been my accountant ever since. Wes Reed uh, with Practice CFO. Um, he was a really great connection in San Diego. He's well connected with other doctors. And, uh, and so I was, I was, I was kind of, I didn't meet or pick any particular offices that he knew of, but he kind of, because he was a dental accountant, right. He knew other offices that he was working with that might have associate opportunities. That was a good connection. And then he helped set me up in terms of, um, creating my S corporation, um, and, and setting myself up for the right types of taxes, uh, doing it legally, but, but benefiting me as a, as a as an independent contractor was the way I was starting. Um, and even if you're W2, there's still tax things that you need to be aware of as an associate and then transitioning to an owner that really helped me to avoid big mistakes. And then when I transitioned into being a new owner, he was like my number one go-to in terms of what are, what is my profit and loss? How do I interpret a profit and loss statement? And what, what kind of room do I have to hire? Um, you know, those are big mistakes. You can make big, big mistakes when you take over a practice, not knowing what your payroll should be, not knowing what your supply cost should be and all these things. And he was really integral in helping me, uh, avoid big pitfalls early on. That's awesome. And, and you would be surprised at how crazy valuable that information is to a young, I mean, right. knowing that, knowing that you did not do that alone is a huge piece yeah. of advice. So excellent. Yeah. you got, you absolutely have to have that. And, and, uh, so, so critical because you'll, I almost hired, um, I needed an office manager. I was taking over this office. I almost, and I was going to, I saw this lady down the hall at this other office who was super nice and awesome. Um, and, and she wanted, this is in 2014, wanted to start at like 34, $35 an hour. And I was buying the practice and, and Wes said, bro, like she's probably worth that. That could be the case, but your practice is not there. Like it's going to kick your, you know, payroll percentage so high that you're not going to be able to, you know, recover from that. And as you grow, hire other people to support you. So take a chance. Let's, let's keep looking. Let's find the right person at the right amount. And, uh, and that, that saved me a big pitfall right off the bat. So. All right. We're going to just take a short break from this podcast episode to talk about the crown council's young dentist program. The young dentist program is hosted by the crown council, Dr. David Hornbrook and the Utah Valley Dental Lab. This is our opportunity to connect with and mentor some of the young dentists who are joining the Crown Council. We invite all young dentists, one to five years out of dental school, to join our young dentist program and be a part of an incredible group of young dentists working to jumpstart their careers by finding the very best in dentistry to mentor them and help them get their careers started. Uh, every year, the Crown Council hosts a new class of young dentists, and you're invited to be part of that class uh, online. And in the notes of this podcast, there is a link to the youngdentistprogram.com 
where registration and information about the program is going on all the time. So we invite you to be part of the Young Dentist Program and uh, come and be with us and be mentored with the Crown Council and connect with some of the very best young dentists in dentistry. So you're an associate now with Dr. Lovell. Tell us about the transition from when, because there are some, you know, some dentists who are, are leaving dental school and they're going to just enter that position where they're going to now transition into a partner. Can you talk about that yeah. transition where you went from working a couple of days with Dr. Lovell to now owning or being a, a partial owner in the practice? Well, so the way it worked for us was, um, like I said, he took me on as an associate. Um, it took about a year and a half maybe uh, a little longer to, to make the transition from associate to kind of buying him out as a majority owner there. And, and the more we worked together, we were comfortable with that. And he was, all the indications for me were there that this was the right practice for me, such as he was very uh, selfless, right? Like hmm. him setting me up and starting to build my schedule up. Um, he was, he was a little tired. So he would say, oh, you know what? I want Dr. Spencer to do this for me. He does more of this than I do uh, now. He's like, and so he was setting me up, right? He was very selfless. That was a good green flag for me. Um, I know that he, you know, he was pretty clear that he was ready to wind down and it, there wasn't like a major need for him to get out right away. Like from a financial standpoint, you could tell he'd kind of done things right. So there weren't any red flags when it came to on this exit, he's going to want like, top dollar that's going to blow me out and make me competitive with other people. Right. So some of those other things I was kind of looking for as we were working together. And then when it came time to do it, um, you know, I, I, again, I went, I had Wes Reed, my, 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 uh, accountant on my side, we presented him with, uh, an offer, uh, that, you know, he didn't really know who to use for evaluation. So I was like, well, Hey, I've got an accountant. Let's, let's try to come up with something fair. And so my account put together based on a number of, of factors, you know, a high, a medium and a low valuation for the practice, presented that to him, let him think about it and stuff like this. And this is where, look, this doesn't happen very often. So I get that I'm really, really lucky. But when I gave it to him, sat on it about a week and he said, Wes, he came back to me and said, Wes, he's like, I really think you're the right person for this. He's like, I'm going to take that low option. And I want you to promise me that you won't come in here and you won't just bulldoze everybody and change anything. Like you carry on the conservative philosophy that I've ever had, that I've had. And, and this is yours, man. And right. That doesn't happen. Right. Like, so that was a sweetheart deal that he, uh, I'll look back on forever and be like, man, I was super fortunate to find that kind of a guy who was going to do that. And, um, and if you know him, everybody would say the same thing. Like that's Jim, that's how he would take care of somebody. So that's how it kind of went for us, right? There wasn't a lot of major roadblocks, but I realized that was a simpler transition than a lot of people might go through. And there's a lot of maybe negotiating back and forth, maybe seeing like, hey, is the office manager saying that's critical to me? That's a, that's a you got to look and see, is, that, is somebody, is there continuity in staff? Is that, is that important? What's the hygiene program like? If there is a hygiene program, right? How many days a week is that? How, how profitable is that? What kind of changes do you need to make in that program? So those are some of the indicators that I'm looking at. If I'm a, if I'm a guy who wants to buy a practice, I'm looking at hygiene um, and I'm looking at uh, continuity of staff initially, um, assuming I like those people and I want to work with them, right. Who's willing to stick around and kind of support me going forward. So, right. Um, 
I, I don't want to like not put you on a weird, embarrassing spot here, Weston, but like, I am sure that Jim's decision to do that revolved somewhat, if not mostly around your character. I mean, who you are as a person to maybe talk about that for just a second, if you can, how, how did you develop your relationship with Jim to make sure it was healthy, happy? And, and when the time came, he was like, this is the guy. I mean, uh, was there things that you guys did to make sure that that relationship as associate and doctor was what was, was healthy and, and, and worked? Yeah. Well, one, we were meeting regularly outside of the office, like doing a lunch, you know, uh, every week and a half, two weeks or so, um, and building a relationship and not necessarily just talking dentistry then, right. Just kind of getting to know each other, asking about him, asking about what he's doing and, and listening to him, you know, feeling like, Hey, uh, I, I don't want to just keep pushing. Like I was in that. I wanted so bad to keep pushing like, Hey, let's get this transition going. Let's go. Let's go. You know, like, obviously I was antsy to get that, but I tried to be really patient and just wait for the right opportunities to bring that up and not, not me pushing myself. Right. The other was showing him, remember what I said about him, like conservative was in clinically conservative was the best way to describe Dr. Lovell. And, uh, and he would do a lot of watching and waiting and that was fine. And, uh, and, and thankfully he'd been doing a lot of watching and waiting for the years leading up and there was a lot of dentistry to do. Right. Mm. But I could have easily walked into that practice as an associate and even with him there and be like, wow, okay, I'm going to give you this, 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 and this on the treatment plan. We need to do this all right away or else. And I picked my spots and I was patient with what I saw. There was stuff that needed to be done right away. And I was honest and, and ethical about those and let's take care of those and the ones that were like you know iffy and borderline i tried to mirror dr lovell's style a little bit you know not try to be so different even though i know over time i could do that and i felt like my promise that i told myself was give myself a year year and a half in this practice and really just gain the patient's trust as i started to work in there i could see there was going to be plenty of dentistry to do so just let's take our time Let's not rush it. Let's not scare anybody away. Let me prove to these people that I have the same level of compassion that Dr. Lovell has for them. And I think he saw that in me and, and, um, and, and that, that trust was maybe gained a little quicker, I hope. Right. Very cool. I love, I mean, not one theme that's kind of carried across all of these interviews, all these podcasts is, um, finding a place that you love. So making sure that like not the location, like the location really is like a bigger deal than I ever realized before doing these, like finding a place and then connecting with this doctor that, that you join is a huge part of not only the transition, but your happiness, the way the patients work. I mean, it is a, it is a gigantic part of what happens and what comes next. So, um, I assume that would be the answer. So good job giving the answer. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, but it's interesting. Like I, I don't want to discount the fact that when I walked in, so one, a good example was Jim had told me right on the beginning, he's like, Hey dude, I don't do any cosmetic dentistry. Like I actually refer out veneers. Right. Wow. He's like, if you do those, you know, great. power, more power to you. So great. <laughs> so day one, day one, I walk in and a lady said to me, do you do veneers? I said, yes, I do. Yes. Uh, yes. and she was like, okay, let's do this. And remember, I'd already been taking a lot of photography and, and, um, and was kind of developing um, with a good lab technician, you know, my skills are, what, is, was I a good Dan? As I 
as I am today? No, but I was working on it and I was trying to develop confidence in that. So I wanted to have confidence. I was like, yeah, I do. Let's do it. And so there was room to, to grow the passionate part of dentistry that I was growing into in cosmetic dentistry and changing people's lives that way within that practice with, again, out without just coming in and being like, this is the way it's done. Everybody needs to, you know, do this kind of an exam with this kind of a result. Um, I, I would just listen to the patients who were ready for that kind of thing and, and pick my spots and take advantage of those. So I, I was able to slowly develop a reputation as an associate in that practice for doing good cosmetic dentistry. And my hygienists in there who were just starting to see and learn about me were, we're seeing my work and saying, Oh, Dr. Spencer does really good, you know, veneers. Like you should talk to him about that. And so there's room to do that still without overdoing it. Right. Yeah. Any other, any other advice there for associates? I only because I've heard this phrase or quote a couple of times from associates, which is, you know, I'm stuck in the practice as an associate. I'm stuck. I have to do, I'm not saying like, how do you break this mold of an associate, but any other advice you would give to an associate to build their brand to kind of set themselves aside as this is who I am. This is the, the dentistry I do. Yeah. So nowadays, yes, way more than, than 2012 to me. And that's social media, right? Like social media gives you the opportunity to dis, uh, differentiate yourself um, even within your own practice. No, obviously that has to be done with the permission of the, of the owner to say, Hey, I've got this good, you know, page where I'm kind of sharing my brand and the kind of dentistry that I'm passionate about. But ultimately, if that's bringing patients into the practice and you're on a, you know, the, the owner, I think would look at that as an incredibly positive thing. That's like, Hey, this person is building a brand outside of my practice, but bringing those patients in here and doing good dentistry um, and social media allows you to do that. Right. Compared with um, what I, I, I didn't have that tool to work to my advantage back then. So it goes back to um, you can start to build that brand uh, with photography, um, looking around on Instagram, seeing like, hey, how do I get good dental shots and what looks good out there that people are going to be interested in, in coming to me and doing this kind of dentistry, building kind of almost a little portfolio, keeping a lot of that on hand, and then starting to post that and say, this is the kind of dentistry. And, and then just the other thing that, that I struggled with in the beginning was just putting myself out there. I hate videoing myself. There's nothing more uncomfortable for my, for me than standing in front of my own camera yeah. and saying like, Hey, let me tell you about this case I did. And let me show you how I did this all. Oh, like I can't stand listening to myself. And I will actually tell you majority of the stuff you see on my Instagram feed, once it goes up, I don't even look at it. I literally never look at it. Maybe, maybe months down the road, because I know if I look at it, I'm going to nitpick it and then be like, Oh, I hated what I said there, you know, (laughs) so just start putting yourself out there. It's uncomfortable. Um, but that's how you kind of start to distinguish yourself is like, tell a story of who you are and Mm. what you love to do and start putting that out there a little bit. And you can do that now through social media or your own website or whatever it is, but make it available so that people, even if it's just your close friends, right? And it starts with your close friends like, oh, you're that kind of dentist. That's really cool. I didn't know you did that. I thought you just did fillings all day. You know, that's what mm-hmm. most of our friends think we are as dentists, right. you know? And so that's where I think you can distinguish yourself as an associate and start to grow your own brand as you get ready to, to step in to be a partner um, or take over your own practice. And I think that's a valuable thing to say, hey, I've got this. 
doesn't that make you more valuable as a partner if you're the one hustling and trying to create for yourself? And I think that's what uh, owners are looking for and associates. So good. Great advice. Um, as a student, I, this will be the only time I ask this question because you're the student body president. <clears throat> I am sure you've seen a lot of your classmates and the, and the transitions that they've made. W- looking back, uh, is there anything that stands out as like, this is a big mistake. Like, do not do this. Like in your personal opinion, have you seen mistakes that your own personal classmates and friends made that you would just warn against? Well, um, nobody from Loma Linda makes any mistakes coming out. I mean, there's other <laughs> universities that I think some might, and I saw some, no, um, I joke about that, but, but honestly, I think, um, the ones who, um, who came out and were maybe too picky about opportunities and, and took a little bit longer, uh, well, I guess you want to get out and you want to get working and you just need experience. To me, that's the most valuable thing you can do right when you get out of dental school. Right. So if you get a great opportunity right out of school, great. Like that's a blessing, but you may not have that. So get out and get a job and start seeing as many patients as you can and start developing, you know, your bedside manner and how you talk to people. That to me is the most, so don't be picky about that, I guess is the, is the one piece of advice. And I saw some like, oh, I don't want to work in that area, or I'm not willing to drive to that area, or I don't want to work for this DSO, or I don't want to, that kind of thing. I'm only going to work in this style of practice. Like, hey, just get out and start working. Now, I was I was in a little bit more unique position. My wife had been supporting me for four years. We already had two kids. Like, I had no time to be picky. It was like, mm-hmm. get a job and start supporting the family, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that worked to my benefit that I got a lot of different looks at opportunities uh, and a lot, like, I saw the corporate side of dentistry and there were some good and bad to that for me. Uh, and I saw kind of a private practice side. So I was willing to do whatever it took to work as much as possible. And I was working, honestly, in that first two years, there were times where I would work six days a week and it wasn't fun, but I took whatever I could get um, to, to both support my family, start, you know, getting nice. us into a good neighborhood and being able to do what it takes to get there. So don't be too picky in the beginning when it comes to looking for work but be picky about the next good opportunity when it comes to owning and stuff. Be, be picky about that. Very cool. Great advice. All right, man, let's wrap up. Um, I, I did want to hit real quick, if you want to, where you are right now. So you've, I mean, I've watched a transition over the last two years into this like beautiful rebuilt, practice. I mean, do you want to talk about your new practice yeah. and kind of what, okay, go, let's do it. Absolutely. So, let, so to, to kind of fast forward for me taking over for Jim in 2014, when I, when I signed the lease on the building there, uh, they wanted at least a five and five. So I started like a solid five-year lease with an option for five more. So I knew I was going to be in the space that I was taking over. Um, do you get, are you getting a lot of feedback? Are you okay? I can't hear him. Is it pretty clear? Yeah, okay, good. good. Um, so I was in that space that I took over and I knew I was going to be in that space. And it was, and it was tight, like a small four op practice. It was built for a lefty and I'm a righty. <laughs> and so it was just, and the cabinets were, he was five, four and I'm mm-hmm. six, two. So I was bumping into things. It was wrong, but I was like, Hey, I'm just put my put head my down. Head. Let's stick it out for five years. Let's see where this takes us. What that did is put me in a position that when the first five years was up, um, I had an opportunity to look at a space downstairs, same building, but a bigger space. And we had some momentum in terms of growth, right? The numbers 
looked like, hey, we can handle a bigger space and support it. And uh, we were doing as much as we could out of four. So add two or three ops and we probably can, you know, increase by, you know, 25, 50, 75%, who knows? So um, we went through the numbers. It looked good. Um, I, I, I bit the bullet on like committing to kind of refinancing my original practice loan, getting a little bit more working capital to build out and kind of take a build out loan, an equipment loan. And we built out a brand new space, seven chairs um, downstairs in the same building that I was in. And, um, you know, we finished that office January of 2020 um, oh. is when we were ready to move downstairs, right. right? So much momentum. Everybody was stoked and pumped. And I said to my good buddy, uh, Landon Libby, who actually were, were partners now um, in, in group practice, one of the best guys I know. And I said to Landon, in January of 2020, I said, hey, you know, I'm really stressed because it's a big nut coming up and it's a hard to crack this thing if I don't take off with a lot of momentum. And he said, dude, you're going to be fine. Like you're going to have all this space. It's going to be incredible. And I said, yeah, you know what? At least there's never been a time in the history of dentistry where you go to zero, right? And he's like, yeah, that's never happened. And then two months later, right? <laughs> two months later, I almost posted a zero in March and April of 2020, right? Oh so yeah. COVID hit March. It's pretty much my fault. I jinxed the whole thing. Yep, um, your fault. And, uh, and took me through there, right? But so there was that adversity in the beginning. Um, and then a lot of good things happened as we came out of COVID and, and really had some momentum coming out of that. And then I had the space to support it. So all the things, the, the one silver lining with COVID it slowed me down in that transition. Mm. And we relooked at how we were doing our systems. We relooked at how we were taking in patients. We relooked at how we were flowing through the office. We slowed it down. We made it better. And then when it was time to work again, like we took off and, and the momentum just carried us. So that was really good silver lining out of the whole thing. Dang, man. What a, I remember the social posts. I mean, I remember you launching and getting, you came to the annual event. We all had that great meeting together, 2020. And then it was just such a, crazy couple months there for dentistry different year right but you know <laughs> look i think the offices that made good decisions during that time and there are many that did are are way better off now than we were even before right yeah. and so um yeah a lot a lot of good has come out of that in my opinion nice well weston as we wrap up any other closing thoughts for students young dentists as they're moving no, forward no i just think i just think people need to know uh the quality of person they're hearing here like everybody knows how good a guy you are stuart and and i didn't get a chance <laughs> to tell my origin story really growth and leadership for me started in 1997 right on Oli titan football <laughs> oh um, no that's that's where it all started for me <laughs> stuart was a senior i was a junior and i looked up to all these guys and you guys took us to a state championship and showed us the way of how to, how, to, how to run a team. And you were one of those leaders on that team. And then we unfortunately lost in the championship by a, a punt error and, and lost the temp view. And then we came back the next year. I honestly don't think we were as talented as you guys, but you guys had kind of set it up for us. And, uh, and we won state in 98. So I want to say that that's where <laughs> I learned how to, you know, become a leader was only Titan football. Oh man, that's pulling at the heartstrings. Titan pride, man. <laughs> We're going to include uh, the championship football, football game. Forever. We're going to championship. The, the championship football game will be included with this podcast. If you want to click on the link to me and Weston's <laughs> YouTube video. <laughs> 
I love it, dude. Thanks so much. Thanks, I appreciate buddy. you. You are uh, you are the leader that I hope all these young docs follow. And and just uh, I always put this out, Wesson. Are you willing to take? Phone calls, emails from young docs looking to connect. Always, yeah. Um, okay. You know, the easiest way to connect with me is usually through Instagram. Like if, you know, if we're talking about it, it's at Dr. Weston Spencer. Nice. You see a lot of what I do there and then uh, DM me, connect with me. Um, that's the easiest way to just get connected with me personally. Um, and then we can go from there. So cool. Thanks, brother. Appreciate your time, your wisdom. So wise. Your oh, white no. beard. Yeah. So much to learn. Yeah. <laughs> I do have a white beard though. So all right, thanks, man. buddy. Hey, we'll see you soon. Yeah, see you in January. Thanks for joining us for this Mentor of the Month podcast sponsored by Crown Council. This is just one tool available to the Crown Council membership that helps dental teams build a culture of success. That's our mission and purpose is to provide a place for dental teams to come together and learn the skills needed to develop your most valuable asset the people, those people who work in your practice. As always, if you're interested in being part of this group or want more information about the tools available to the membership, go to www.crowncouncil.com or call us 1-800-276-9658. Thanks.